Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Malibu, California. Welcome to the show, Kathy Fetke. Thank you. So glad to be back. Great to have you here. Well, Kathy, you've been on the show a couple of times, but it's been a while. And for the listeners who haven't met you, maybe give a few minutes of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Okay. Well, the story goes all the way back to 1997, I guess. So been doing this a while. The year Rich and I got married, uh, my dad was actually in a panic because he had invested in an apartment syndication. They didn't tell him that they sold the building. They just sent a letter. Um, he had been invested for years, and that meant recapture. Uh, for a lot of people who don't realize, they take these wonderful tax benefits, but then when you sell, you pay it back unless you do a 1031. Uh, you know, again, always talk to your CPA because maybe you have better ideas for that. But in this case, my dad was in a panic. By the time he got the letter, he had a couple of weeks to find the replacement property, or he would have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. And he was just trying to retire. So this was a real hit to him. Of course, 25 years ago, a few hundred thousand dollars was a lot, uh, times it by three, right? Yeah, it was uh, real money back then. It was real, exactly. <laughs> um, so I just was newly married and we were renting. And I said, you know, what, are, what do you need? Let me help you. You're stressed. You're too old to be stressed. Come on, what, what can I do? And he said, well, if you can find a replacement property, then he, he basically was terrified to be a landlord and he didn't know what to do. And I said, well, Rich and I are renters. So why don't we find the property that we want to live in and we'll be the renters and that'll be the exchange property and we'll take care of everything and uh, pay you back anything you put into it. And maybe someday we get to inherit it. So that's what we did. We found a six bedroom house beautiful big house but we were able to turn it into a fourplex and that's how we got started i mean wow. kind of an illegal fourplex but, <laughs> but yeah that was that was the first start that's a great story that's a great story and so today obviously fast forward you are very prominent in the world of investing uh, you've been in the media for a number of years uh, you run the real wealth network what are you working on today well, it's a good question. I'm currently um, the co-host of Bigger Pockets on the Market. So that's exciting. We're constantly talking about what's going on in the market. And let me tell you, that's that takes a that's a full-time job these days trying to figure out what's going on out there. Uh, so that's been really fun. I'm also still, yeah, co, I'm still hosting the Real Wealth Show and Real Estate News for Investors. We just launched a single family rental fund uh, because there's enormous opportunity. People are really terrified and you know that things are changing rapidly. It's like, this is the way I describe the market. Like the Fed was on the gas and we were like going full charge over a cliff. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to put the brake on now. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we, we just, anyway, foot on the gas, foot on the brake. It's been crazy. It's too much too fast. What that always brings is opportunity. So we're, you know, if we've got cash and, you know, obviously if we've got a fund, we're going to be raising 20 million in cash. Uh, we're able to buy stuff in North Texas for so cheap. 
right in this area where an enormous amount of tech jobs are coming and specifically the chip manufacturing because the Biden administration just passed, I don't know what, $52 billion to support chip manufacturing coming into the U.S. Um, a lot of those jobs and factories and uh, you know it's all going to North Texas. So we're bullish in this economy, uh, mainly because I'm following my my normal fundamentals, the stuff that when I stick with it, it works no matter what. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you're that's exactly right. That's our philosophy as well. You want to see that influx of jobs, the influx of population, high paying jobs, not jobs that are going to be transient. When you put up a multi-billion dollar semiconductor fab, those jobs are sticking around for a long, long time. And it doesn't matter whether the name on the front of the building is Intel or Samsung, it doesn't matter. Those jobs are going to be around for a long time. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're bullish. You know, it, it's a single family fund and that could be hard to manage. We've done it before and it wasn't too hard to manage because that's what we do at Real Wealth. We've been helping investors build their individual portfolios for 20 years now, finding teams across the country that can help them acquire the property, renovate it, and then manage it as a turnkey, quote, quote unquote, turnkey rental. I don't like using that because there's no definition of turnkey. We gave one to it. You know, we, we call it a real income property. We've got standards for how we consider turnkey, but we've been doing this for 20 years. So we have teams nationwide with properties and, and property management. So we did our first single family fund and had properties sort of spread out. And the wow, I learned a lot from that, which areas really performed. I could look at the spreadsheet and see it has been very interesting. This time, we're just focusing on Texas because there were lots of lessons learned over the last couple of years. And a lot of businesses learned lessons. A lot of those businesses learned that they want to be in, in places where you can do business, right? And Texas and Florida were really uh, standouts during the last two years. So the flow, the inflow of businesses to Texas has not slowed down. So we're we're taking advantage. We're just going to focus there because again, we learned a lot from our first fund where we kind of spread it out. And it was really the growth markets that maybe didn't cash flow as enormously as the Midwest, but all said, it was definitely the growth markets that did the best in the end. Well, and if you consider manufacturing in particular, I mean, we are going through a period, not of deglobalization, but certainly at least a balkanization where you might have had a facility in one location. And to create a manufacturing facility, you need four things. You need a solid labor force at, at a reasonable rate. You need a decent tax structure. You need access to low-cost energy. Then you need access to transportation. You got to have all four of those. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to build Mercedes in Stuttgart right now, man, you're in a world of hurt. Yeah. Or if you're trying to, you know, make fertilizer there or anything like that, because your energy costs are through the roof. We're starting to see people looking at areas along the Gulf Coast where you've got labor at a good rate, you've got plentiful transportation, you've got energy at a decent price, you've got all of those conditions, it seems in my mind to be one of the best areas in the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, we started our, you know, out of state investing in Dallas, the Dallas area. And that's because I started the real wealth show in a desperate attempt to understand investing. I, I, my background's in broadcasting. And uh, when Rich was diagnosed with melanoma in 2003 and told he had six months to live, which the doctor was wrong and he's healthy today, he, he overcame it. 
uh, I had to figure out what to do, how to take care of our family. So I focused, you know, this radio show I had called The Real Wealth Show on how to create passive income. So of course, one of my guests was Robert Kiyosaki, the cash flow king, I guess you could say. And he explained at the time, you know, this was 2004, and then I had him back on 2005. And he explained because, you know, that California investors could cash in. They, you can make a ton of money in, in those cyclical markets like California, uh, mainly California. Um, you could, you can make a ton of money if you buy low and ride it up basically. But then when it hits a peak and things change, you might want to get out and take your winnings and move on. So he explained that. He said, you know, these loans, are going to come due in 2007. People aren't going to be able to pay them. It's overbuilt. Like he could see everything coming and so many people couldn't, they were just blinded to it. But when he explained that on my show, uh, he's like, you know, you can take all your winnings, get out now before the crash and buy in cash flow markets like Texas, because it's got the number one job growth in the country, number one population growth, yet housing was 26% undervalued. Rich and I jumped on a plane I was a mortgage broker, so I could give myself uh, unlimited num- an unlimited amount of investor loans with no money down. <laughs> it was that kind of market. So we go out there. We came back with five homes. Went back again. Came back with five more uh, because it just made sense. They cash flowed even with no money down. If you can imagine that in these growth areas. I came home, talked about it on the show. We had phones ringing off the hook of people who wanted to do the same thing. Here we were basically buying at the top of the market, 2005, 2006, but it was so cheap relatively. It was still, we were buying way under the median home price. So our investors, people who kind of followed what I did, because again, our phones were ringing off the hook when I talked about it, like, oh, I want to do that too. So we shared our contacts over there and our property management and the real estate agent we were using. So many people did the same. They sold at the peak, got into Dallas and some parts of Houston. And we just rode through that recession like it didn't even exist. In fact, if anything, people were getting raises because rents were going up because so many people were losing their homes and became renters. So, you know, I never thought Dallas was going to be a growth market. I thought it was going to be an amazing cash flow play in a strong, diversified job market, you know, that would just give some security. But sure enough, you know, look at it, it's just done this because you can't, you just can't build homes or multifamily, anything fast enough to keep up with that kind of job growth. Well, it's interesting because, you know, for the longest time, Dallas is not geographically constrained. It's not like Seattle or a place like that where you've got the ocean on one side and you've got you know, yeah. geographic constraints, you could keep building down I-35 until you run into Austin. I mean, you know, there's no real limit to how far Dallas could go. And so the feeling was that Dallas would never appreciate because mm-hmm. it had no limits on growth. But yeah. it's actually turned out that people just don't want to drive that far. It's a mega city. And if you're in the core, if you're close to amenities, the values are reflected in uh, in that supply-demand imbalance. Yeah. And also, you know, it's, it, it is fairly easy to get approvals in, in Texas, but you still have to have utilities. Yeah, You still have to have water and electrical. It's not like you can build overnight. Although if you're going to build somewhere, you can probably build a lot faster there than anywhere. Uh, but I think that's what they discovered is, you know, you just can't with that kind of growth. And it continues because Texas continues to be 
so business friendly. At the time, they were offering enormous tax credits. Uh, I don't know if their tax credits are as good, but what a lot of companies found is that, you know what, they're going to let us keep our doors open. And that's a pretty big deal, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is an interesting perspective because, you know, here we are today, we're talking about a historical cycle and we're clearly in a cycle today. How have the last several months forced you to pivot? Uh, what have you had to stop? What have you had to do differently? Because I mean, the times they are changing, there's no question. Yes. Um, well, I've been obsessed with understanding market cycles since I started because I well, I watched my dad go through them and get just taken off guard. He was a dentist. He was busy like many professionals. They don't have time to follow everything the Fed is saying or follow the economy. So he would just get derailed and I'd see him make money and lose money, make money and lose money. And it, it always kind of broke my heart, you know. But the one thing that allowed my mother to live after he passed was the one primary residence that they bought. You know, it had gone up in value so much that the other investments didn't work, but she was able to sell that and live off the money until she passed. I just thought I I want to be ahead of the curve. I want to know what's coming. Rich and I got very affected by the 2008 housing crash, because even though we did things so well in Texas, I got a little too cocky and I thought, oh, I've got this figured out. And we bought three new construction homes in Tennessee. We bought three in Boise and those areas were not as well diversified at the time. And they weren't cash flowing as well. And when I say diversify, I mean with employment. There was like two major employers in Boise. Um, and then the construction loans in the Tennessee properties, they were due. I, I told people not, I would literally educate and coach people not to get short-term balloon notes. Because when they balloon, you sure better have a backup plan. Well, then we went and got three construction properties with balloon notes. By the time they were, you know, we had to refi out of those into a long-term rate, there were no more loans. Banks had failed and and it was limited to 10 loans and we were way beyond that. And there weren't really, um, you know, portfolio lenders that were alive and well at that point. So we ended up having to give those properties back to the bank. We lost all that money. The Texas ones did great. The Boise ones, um, we had to short sale. So it was hard. And I just thought, if I just stuck with the fundamentals that I knew, you know, um, everything would have been fine. So I've been totally obsessed with knowing what's happening and then studying who manipulates these things. How how are we taken off guard? And of course, you and I go to a lot of the same events where we study these things. And, and just over the past, ever since that recession of 2008, boy, the Fed really came in in a big way manipulating markets. I think it had been manipulated before that, but wow, like you've got to pay attention to the Fed. So that's what I do. That's what I've been doing. So in, in January, when they said they were going to raise rates seven times, I paid attention. Uh, we were already really well set up for that uh, because I knew that it has been a long run upwards and that generally need to be careful when prices, you know, when things get to a level of affordability where most people are priced out, you know, th something's going to change. So we were already super, th these are the things we do to prepare no matter what, low leverage. You know, I've been watching people do syndications with really high leverage and I'm just like, oh my gosh, how's that going to turn out? So we were very, very low leverage, uh, lots of reserves, cash properties, our, our single family fund. We ended up just keeping it cash only, although 
it would have been fine to to leverage low leverage. You know, so we were already personally set up and we helped our members at Real Wealth do the same, make sure they were prepared for anything that would come along. And then I just was like, sell everything that isn't great. I was telling everybody like sell in March while it's still a frenzy, any of your assets that, you know, are underperforming or not doing what you think you can sell it at peak dollar because people are still in that mindset that things aren't going to change. So it, it had to happen early on for preparation. And then we just sat on the sidelines and I, I kept getting lots of deals come across my desk and I would just sort of scratch my head and think they're not preparing for what's coming. You know, I was kind of shocked. Anyway, here we are where the, you know, Jerome Powell has basically come out and said, I'm going to crush the economy, right? I mean, yeah, in different words, but I mean, certainly the housing markets. So he's going full board. And I didn't see that. I didn't know that he'd be that aggressive, but that's where it's headed. So uh, again, I'm sticking in very conservative investments near jobs that are going to be here for the long term. I just feel like, hey, we rode through that last recession with part of our portfolio as if nothing happened. I'm just going to do that again, because at the end of the day, people do need a place to live. Absolutely. And we're seeing, for example, that a very large percentage of, in particular, multifamily deals, there's been a lot of value add activity over the last couple of years. And the vast majority of that's been underwritten with bridge debt that probably assumed takeout financing, you know, the transition into permanent financing with a number that probably started with a three, maybe a four, definitely not a six or a seven. And if they have to refinance into six and seven percent, not only are they not doing a cash out refi, they're going to have to bring substantial capital to the table to get into permanent financing, or they're going to write out their bridge loans until they run out of extensions and, and, and then figure out what to do from there. Um, it's not going to be pretty. Well, that's why we're gearing up for, you know, probably some acquisition in about six months or so as things start to fall apart. And I, again, I know what it's like to go on those bridge loans. And I, I think some people got in and out and did really well. You know, I know yeah. a lot of those people, but the, those I know who are highly experienced, they sold everything in, in the beginning of this year. We sold a fair bit uh, in Philadelphia. We still have some of the portfolio, the best performing assets, exactly like you said. We looked at some of the buildings. We said, you know, that building, we, that basement apartment, just for whatever reason, seems to keep getting flooded. We'll just sell the whole building. Mm-hmm. And, and we we did a fair bit of that. And, and I feel like we're really well positioned as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Now, the projects that are on the cusp of trying to get into construction we're remodeling those every week, trying to figure out how to make those go with some reliability, uh, because that's what our investors expect. They expect certainty, and, and it's hard yeah. to deliver that in this environment. Well, yeah, I mean, if again, if I had listened to my own advice, I would have stuck with that, you know, cash flow play in growth markets. Uh, we ended up doing a lot of new construction. Uh, building subdivisions in in Nevada, you know, basically in the Reno area. We've got one in Bozeman, Montana. Let's see, where's Florida? So, the two of our Reno subdivisions we've sold out were out, uh, but we still got the one in Bozeman. And I'll tell you, it's been a crazy ride. Like on the one hand, the values have doubled, but so have the costs. You know, so it's been very challenging. And here we sit 
now with buyers saying, I don't know if I can afford these rates, you know, this property with these rates. So what do you do as a builder? You dis- you discount. Um, well, if you discount, you there's have no profit. Yes, yeah. there's your margin. And so it's it's definitely a challenging time. We've tried to keep our uh, debt really low so that we could ride through any storm like this. I've got very experienced developers, but this is this has probably been one of the most challenging times for for my partners who are forty year veteran developers. There's been challenges over the years, but whew, you know, for builders with the lack, not just the increased costs of materials, but the fact that you literally can't even get them sometimes. And how are you supposed to close on a home, and then that delays you, and then you're late on your on your payment on your you know construction loan. And so it it's been hard. I've got some solutions though that are kind of cool. Yeah, Lo- love to hear them. Well, one is um, one is it's not going to work for everyone, but we have a development in Park City where we have thirty homes left, and uh, Park City has had an increase in inventory, like a lot of places. But these are new homes, very very rare, four bedrooms, right right bordering a ski resort right there. <laughs> I don't know why I just forgot. Anyway, it's a very cool property, but you know just to be double double safe. I went to some of those shared vacation rental places mm-hmm. like Picasso and Ember. And, um, you know, basically they, they bring in eight owners and they just come in with cash. So you don't even have to worry about the finance and they love our project. So, you know, you've got to get creative and, um, you know, get through it. And then just, again, be able to sit on those lots if you can. So this okay. is fractional ownership as opposed to timeshare. It is uh, LL. It's it's done in an LLC, so it's like okay. eight units, eight shares. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Fascinating. Well, Kathy, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Realwealth.com is our is our you know main company, and that's where you get lots of free education. And if you're looking to build your portfolio of one to four units, we can help you there. Um, and then my syndication company is GrowDevelopments.com. Fabulous. Well, Kathy, great to catch up. As always, it's been far too long. And for the listeners at home, you definitely want to check out Kathy Fatke and her husband, Rich, at realwealth.com. They're super experienced, just some of the highest quality people that I know. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. 